You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Tampa Bay Rays win their series in San Francisco. They beat the Giants 3-0 on Sunday. They are 7-3, matching their best 10-game start with the 2010 AL East Championship team. Also the first time they have won three series to start the season. Great start by Yandy Diaz with a leadoff home run. Great pitching by Yanni Chirinos. He goes uh, five innings, just two hits, no runs. Not such a good weekend, however, for former Ray Evan Longoria. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, they made history. They tied Detroit for the most wins, of course, in the regular season uh, with 62. They won on Saturday. They trailed Boston in this game 2 to nothing in the first period. They scored three times in the second, went on to win 6-3. to three. Nikita Kucherov becomes the highest-scoring Russian player in the NHL uh, in a season. Just a tremendous weekend for the Lightning. And they will now play John Tortorella, their former coach, and Columbus in the first round of the playoffs, which begin in Tampa on Wednesday. What kind of psychological games will Torts be playing? We'll get into that. And it will be Texas Tech against Virginia in the Men's National Basketball Championship game tonight. The Auburn Tigers thought for about four seconds they had made it to the final. Then they discovered the ref had called a foul on a three-point shot. Unbelievable finish to that. And what a finish to the women's final four at Emily Arena as Baylor hangs on to win its third national title with an 82-81 thriller. Just a terrific uh, event this weekend at Emily. We've got all that, and the USF wins the CBI tournament on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, the Lightning, as we mentioned, uh, just wrapped up their historic regular season, and now comes the quest for the Cup. Hang on to history with a commemorative hardcover book, this 160-page keepsake full of amazing photos from the Times photographers. We'll cover the regular and postseason, and if you pre-order now, you can save $10. Just go to boltsbook.com. That's boltsbook.com right now to place your pre-order and save boltsbook.com all right steve so i can't be more impressed uh, than i am with the tampa bay rays they go to san francisco their first road trip they win another series against the giants who uh, aren't swinging the bats very well themselves but i'll tell you this race pitching staff is the real deal another shutout uh, combined of course uh, this time it was yanni chirinos with five innings i mentioned two hits no runs and you know what's uh what's what's been impressive is just how solid this baseball team is and what I mean by that is um, their pitching staff has been, has led them obviously they've been lights out but they're not walking batters they're attacking hitters they, the bullpen is deep obviously um, they've gotten great starting pitching needless to say and then the timely hitting you know um, they, they had one game I guess you would say you know towards the end of last week when they stranded a bunch of batters in that one to nothing game that they lost in 11 innings uh, but for the most part, you know, they've, they've jumped out on teams pretty well. And, of course, they did that again on Sunday. How about Yandy Diaz, Steve, the guy that uh, they got, uh, of course, the Cuban-born player from Cleveland. Jake uh, who? Someone, yeah, right. I was shocked that they traded somebody like Jake Bowers because, you know, when he came up and, uh, it, you know, Willie Adamas, it seemed like he, he pumped life into that team. The young guys did last year, and they went on to win 90 games. So you're shocked that – you know, this was a big prospect of theirs. Well, now we know why, because in addition to uh, to Yandy, you know, doing a good job in terms of playing third and first base, so he has the versatility, but he had only had one career home run. He's got three already uh, and let off this game with, with a blast. And, I mean, these are laser beams. I mean, it was a good thing he didn't get up in the air because the wind was sort of blowing across wind and held up some balls that probably would have gone out. But, I mean, he just unloaded on one. He's so strong. And that thing gets out of the ballpark in just a couple of seconds. In fact, they had to review it because it hit the the stanchion above the fence so hard that it came bounding back into play, uh, and he stood at first base for a while until they could review it. But uh, this is just, you know, again, more of the Rays making these deals that we'll talk about that everything seems to be working for them right now. And this is not a fluke. I, th- I think, finally, Steve, that, that baseball or some of the people that cover baseball on the national shows are starting to wake up to the fact that 
You know what? The Rays are at the top of the American League East, and it, maybe it might stay that way for a while. Well, with the Andy Diaz, you don't see that scene in Major League where the fans are in the too high, too high, too high. <laughs> right. They never say that about his shots. No. Getting back to the walks, we talked about Blake Snell's you know, opening day gave up the five runs in six innings. Sure, sure. But what hurt him wasn't the three home runs. It was the two walks to the seventh and ninth hitters before that first home run that then made right. the game three to one. The, the Rays, and, and this is what they've built, is not only are they versatile in, in, from the bullpen to the field to everything else, they're locked down defensively. They had mm-hmm. their first error on Friday in their eighth game. Yes. When pitchers know that the defense behind them is locked down, you throw strikes. Mm-hmm. You're not nibbling trying to get them to hit things at the end of the bat. This You know, as long as you keep the ball in the park, if it's in play, my, my defense will back me up. They've got me. So you're not you're not nibbling and, and trying to hit corners perfectly every time because you know that as long as they're not hitting it over the fence, I'm pretty sure my defense is going to get that ball. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like the lightning with Andre Vasilevsky. Sometimes they take chances because they know they got the best goalie in the world behind them. Boy, that's so true. That's so true. And they are attacking hitters, and it's been something to watch. They made some great plays. Look, Kevin Kiermaier had an outstanding series in this in, in this one in San Francisco. He ran down some balls. Him and Kevin Pillar, of course, who's now with the Giants, used to be with Toronto, two outstanding uh, players. They're very similar in their careers in terms of offensive numbers, but you know, Kevin has a platinum glove and a couple gold gloves to his credit, and Pillar does not. But there was, you know, that's a, a massive ballpark out there uh, in right center, especially out in San Francisco. He did a good job of uh, running down some fly balls. And, again, they got great infield play. To your point, they put in at one point, you know, because the National League, they're pinch hitting for guys. And uh, uh, Brandon Lau goes in to play second base. And immediately he makes just, you know, a web gem, you know, diving to his left, you know, on a leadoff batter. And it just, you know, deflates the Giants, who haven't been swinging a great bat anyway. But they they made plays all over the field at every position. And just the versatility of of this this lineup and of these players that can play not just infield positions but also outfield. It allows Kevin Cash to do a lot of things, um, which you know he kind of dabbled in on um, you know on Sunday uh, again you know with with his pitching staff trying to save um, you know his left-handed reliever moving him to first base for a batter and then bringing him back on the mound. Um, we've seen Cash do that before, but yeah, it's just been it's been really some fun to watch and and again. It's rare that the that the Rays or any team would jump out. You know, I mean, seven and three is a good start for anybody. Again, they've only done it one at a time, and that was when they won the AL East back in two thousand and ten. So, if you're looking for positive signs, there's one. But but the way they play, and we've talked about this, how pitching and defense does not usually go into a slump. That's what's so solid about this baseball team. I mean, they won ninety games a year ago, so they obviously have talent. But now you've got Tommy Pham for the entire season. Austin Meadows is coming in and contributing right away. It seems as if that uh, you know they're they're having a lot of fun. The catching Mike Zanino has not has not hit for them uh, per se, and neither did they expect them to. But they're throwing out runners at an amazing clip. I mean, there was one ball that uh, got away from him just a little bit, and a runner tried to take advantage of it, and he nailed him. It was the third out of the inning. So uh, it, they've just done everything right to this point, and and probably with just a little bit of luck, could be eight and two. And uh, again, the only game that they really, you know, uh, you know, had a little tough battle in the bullpen somewhat on Saturday when they when they lost six to four to the Giants. But I'm as impressed with the start as as I was with their finish last year. This this really just has a feel to it. Now, again, it's a long season and all that. They go to Chicago, they play the White Sox and then it's on to Toronto after that. But, Steve, I don't think the American League East, I mean, you can't take away what the Yankees will become. They've had a ton of injuries. They're going to get back on traffic at some point. One, the worst start for the Red Sox in, in maybe ever. Uh, they, Three they and eight. Yeah, I mean, they're they're doing what the Rays did to themselves last year, which was bury themselves in the first couple weeks of the season. And we know what a deep, dark hole that can be. And the Rays never did get back on top of it. Again, they won 90 games, but then the Red Sox and Yankees won over 100. So maybe this will work to their, to their advantage in reverse. I don't think Baltimore's a very good team, even though – they surprised maybe some people, you know, the first series or so, um, including the Yankees. But I, I don't think this is a strong, strong American League East outside of the Red Sox and New York. And with you know, the way both of those teams are sort of floundering on their own, this is a great opportunity for the Rays 
to get on top of, of the AL East and, and maybe get some separation early. Well, particularly with Boston, who's given up 72 runs in 11 <sighs> games. Good Lord. The only one worse than them, that just on a quick glance, is the Cubs, who's given up 71 runs in nine games. Oh, and by the way, the Joe Madden watch is on. Whoa. Oh, that's awful. Big time. They've won one game. Am I right? The opening day, that's it? Uh, no, they've won, they've, they've won, won two. Again. They're two and seven. They're two and seven. Okay. Yeah, they won on well, Saturday. Well, I may have missed – Okay, I missed the Saturday victory. I was uh, not not paying attention to that, but um, Solom got scolded on Friday night by by Milwaukee. Um, they've had a couple games where they've scored over ten runs, uh, I think, and they're the only team to do that a couple times. But their pitching is just horrendous. And and I don't, you know, I don't know how you blame Joe Madden when you look at that staff. When John Lester is your ace, God bless him. Um, you know, five years you know, ago, he, that's fine. Yeah, he should not be your ace at this point. You know, when he was winning with the Red Sox, okay, or even the World Series the year that the Cubs won it. But at this point, he should not be your ace. And it's a drop-off, a precipitable drop-off after that. Uh, and then the bullpen is just in tatters. They can't bring anybody in that can get anybody out. Um, Carl Edwards needs to be sent down. I mean, I don't want to get too, too Cubs-centric here, but if I had, you know, if you're laying odds on who, who the first manager that might be fired this year Madden's got to be at or near the top of the list, but I would also look at Theo Epstein because he's the one that put together this this group, and they have no pitching at all. You got to think that they would consider both of them. Although I think Madden would go first. Epstein, you may wait till the I end of the too. season, right? But I, you know, I think they could make a change in Madden sooner than later. It's it's sad, but it's it's what the Cubs have become. But it's in stark contrast to what's going on here with the Rays, and isn't that funny how the worm has turned? And it's just a, a credit. Again, all the deals that they have made have worked out. Uh, some that were, you know, questioned, including the Evan Longoria trade. I mean, you know, and, and I almost – I felt for Longoria this weekend because, you know, he had not faced his former team um, until then. And even though it wasn't in Tampa, which would have been the right thing to do had baseball thought about it uh, for more than five minutes, it would have been great to see him at the trop and get his ovations that, that he deserved. Still has a great glove, Steve. He can still play oh. third base as well as anybody. He's smooth over there. Um, you know, took away bunts, took away, took away pretty and much. Who was everything. it on Friday that tried the bunt? And Brian Anderson on TV is going, wrong guy to do that against. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> yep, exactly. And uh, he he played a great third base, but uh, I think he was mired in like a two for twenty slump at some point. He's hitting around two hundred, and um, he was overpowered by the race pitching staff like everybody else, especially Jose Alvarado, who is just unhittable. Him and Castillo, I tell you what, I think we're starting to see, you know, both those guys can, can pitch in the ninth inning too. Um, but you got a nice one-two punch there. And, again, it will depend on what are, you know, what's the hardest lineup and matchups and things mm -hmm. like that. But I think you can start to well, see. Well, Castillo's the righty, Alvarado's the lefty. So that's right. It's a nice matchup yeah. there too. Yeah, so however it falls in the lineup, whether – One's pitching the eighth or the ninth, but I think it, it looks to me like Alvarado's going to be your ninth inning guy um, unless the lineup turns over. But um, they're, they're just doing a great job at the back end of the bullpen, as is, as is everybody. So uh, if you're a Rays fan, you should be pretty stoked about this. And, uh, again, it would, it would be different if they hadn't won 90 games a year ago and then improved their ball club the way they had, um, like we mentioned with Yandy Diaz and, and, and Zanino and some other guys that are just playing great. And, you know, hats off to Kevin Kiermeyer, who's also off to a really good start in his own right. Um, he has had a couple home runs already this year and is playing a great center field. And it's just part of that defense that, um, that has got them going. So good start for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Good finish for the Tampa Bay Lightning in the regular season. They do get their 62nd win. And, Steve, I don't know what's going to happen in the postseason, and, and obviously, it, to me, it wouldn't have mattered if they won, you know, 50, 51 games, 52 games, or 62 games. The expectations were always going to still be there. When you come as close as they did a year ago with the Washington Capitals needing one of the last two games to get to the Stanley Cup and they don't do it, they don't get it done, then obviously anything short of getting back to that point and then one step further would probably be viewed as a disappointment. Now, the fact that they have made history now and they, you know, have tied uh, the Red Wings, uh, that great Red, Red Wings team um, with 62 wins certainly makes it even, you know, more disappointing, I guess, if for some reason, you know, they, they were to flame out or something in the playoffs. First of all, I don't see that happening because I just simply think they're the best team in hockey. And what I liked about what happened on Saturday was, first of all, you know, they're playing in, uh, in Boston against a, a really good Bruins team. They did not play – 
a lot of people. They had some some people out, and not the least of which was their goaltender Vasilevsky. You know, and the backup is out as well. But you know, getting down two zero didn't stop them. Came back with three three goals in the second period. Um, you know, and they go on to win six to three, and they do get the record, but they did it without making that like the singular goal of the season. Um, had they finished with 60, 61, so be it. Still an unbelievable year. The stat that still still slays me, Steve, is that I don't believe this team lost, or maybe they did one time, back-to-back regular. Once they lost back-to-back games in regulation. That was in November, and it was to but Ottawa just one and Buffalo. one time. Ottawa and Buffalo. I don't remember the order. Right. I believe they only lost back-to-back games one other time, and it was in, I want to say, Febu- the end of February, or maybe it was early March. And it was two overtime games back to back at home. One was St. Louis, right. and I don't remember the other team. Right. That. But those are the only, only two times once. they've lost back to back games. Once yeah. in regulation, once was in overtime. I mean, that's just sick when you think about you know. I mean, the length of a hockey season to have that kind of consistency, and the ability to know you know when it's winning time and then finish it. Stamkos, I thought was great on Saturday. Watched most of that game uh, on TV. He had another shorthanded goal. It's weird. He's had two now in two games, I think. Yeah, two in two um, games is, you know, that's uh, – and, and what a sweet move he put on. Oh, yeah. The and, assist, and Kucherov's goal, too. Wow. Yeah. The speed yeah. he came through and the ability yep. to, to send it right in front of the pad to the, the back corner. Yep. No, it was great. And uh, so, you know, but, again – getting uh, back to the re- back-to-back games, too, one other thing. Four seasons ago, when they went to the cup final against Chicago, all season long the mantra was they had not lost three games back-to-back all season. Mm-hmm. This team's only lost two games in a row twice. <laughs> and I mean, that was, It was such a big deal, and they had lost two in a row several times in that season. I don't remember how many times in the 14-15 season. And, right. and that was all the, you know, they've not lost three in a row, and that was talked about all throughout the season and into the playoffs, and they ended up losing three in a row in the Stanley Cup final, which was the first time all season. But this mm-hmm. team has only lost two in a row twice. That is crazy good. So now it's on to the postseason, and, of course, Wednesday they'll host uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, and guess what? John Tortorella is coming to town. <laughs> and, folks, uh, they had great success against Columbus this year. They were three and zero. I think they they outscored them. I don't know, seventeen to something. Three, uh, I believe. Yeah, three. I was going to say three or five, but yeah, I think it was seventeen to three. So they they rolled over this team. But if you know Torts at all, you know he's going to bring all his little psychological analysis of this Lightning team and try to get underneath their uh, their skin and into their heads and everything else, which he did so well when he was with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, we you know if you followed the team at all, then. You know firsthand just you know what he went through and taking some of the pressure off his players. That's sort of been his mantra, you know. And John Romano wrote a great column about this. You can read it on TampaBay.com of sort of how, I guess you know, Jay Feaster, their former GM, was saying you know during the season he was really hard on his own players. I mean, he had the great temper and um, you know he just he rode them pretty hard. But then once the playoffs began. He kind of was on their side, and he and he tried to to take the pressure off of them by putting it all on himself. Mm-hmm. And you know, every time they would play poorly, like they did, uh, you know, whether going back to the, to the like the Flyers uh, series that year um, when they got spanked like six to two in one of the games, game two, I think it was. Um, he went after uh, that's when he went after Bobby Clark uh, for whining all the time. And then uh, you know, you you obviously remember. Uh, the whole shut your yap thing um, that uh, transpired that same year. So uh, he's going to have something for this Tampa Bay Lightning team, and I'm sure he's going to play on the fact that wow, what a what a unbelievable collapse it would be if you know um, this team has been good all season, but it really doesn't matter because this is the postseason and we're not afraid of them. He tried to he tried the last time they played in Columbus their final game. He was saying you know. Um, we're going to take the fight to them. Like, that was the whole – and they did, too. They played a great first period. Uh, and then the Lightning got their footing, and, and they wound up spanking them pretty good up there. So, um, it's going to come down to who, you know, who plays better on the ice, obviously. But it'll be entertaining as long as John Tortorella is in this series. All right, Steve, so one thing you uh, mentioned to me that you noticed, Dan Girardi is back, so that's big, right? Yeah, you missed 13 games, but to get uh, defensemen back is – you know, Victor Hedman still hasn't played since he got hurt a week ago. 
And, and Strawman came back this on this road trip. So it's good you're getting your defensive core back so that, you know, you're, Cameron Gaunt's played on Saturday because they were resting some guys. He, you know, not going to play game one, you wouldn't think. Hopefully, Jan Ruda doesn't have to play game one, although he's looked pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's held his own. And, you know, I think the best thing you can say for him, for the most part, you don't notice him. And, and it, when you do notice him, it's because he's making a really great play. You're not noticing mistakes that he's making or, you know, problems yeah. that it's causing for the team. So, you know, he's done very well in that role. But, you know, having Strawman and Girardi back this week and your hope Hedman comes back this week uh, for the, the playoffs, you know, to get that full decor back is going to be strong for this team. Well, we'll find out if Hedman skates with the team on Monday. But, you know, he, he took what looked to be, and they haven't announced this, but it, it did seem to be sort of a, of, a, of a head injury. They say it's an upper body, but um, it might be a concussion situation. We don't really know. How I mean, Victor Hedman does so much for this hockey team. Um, you know, when you think about him on the, uh, you know, at the point on the power play, and and uh, just just his ability to to score, and he's just so solid back there, the best defender in the NHL, right? How difficult would that be if he weren't available to them at least early in these playoffs? Well, I I don't think. Look, and Hedman's a elite player. You know is up again for the Norris Trophy for the defenseman of the year. Yeah, yeah. But I, this year they could handle losing him more than last year. And, and, hmm. and I say that, and it's, it's for the same reason, and we, we've talked about this last week some. What's made this team so much better than last season, which was a tremendous team, is that Braden Point's no longer your shutdown center. Right. Tony Sorelli's become that. So that Braden Point can focus more on the offensive game and do more on the power play and, and everything else he does. And he's still a tremendous lockdown defender. But you, can, you don't have to put him with two other guys that are elite defenders. You can put him with the key to Kucherov to really make an elite line offensively. And they still hold their own defensively, and, and Braden Point's tremendous two-way center. But he doesn't have to be on that shutdown line anymore. Well, Eric Chernak's development with Ryan McDonough has meant that the shutdown pair for the, def- the, the Tampa Bay Lightning is no longer Victor Hedman and whoever he's paired with. The right. shutdown pair for them is McDonough and Chernak, which allows Victor Hedman to be engaged more offensively, take more chances, more time mm-hmm. on the power play, all that stuff that goes with it that, that your best defender, and, and Hedman's the best one overall, but he doesn't have to be the lockdown defender. Oh, and he, I mean, he can play lockdown defense. Don't get me wrong when I say that. But he's not your lockdown pair. When you need a stop, you're sending out McDonough and Chernak first. That's mm. your lockdown pair so that Victor Hedman can take more chances offensively and push the puck up the ice more and, and not play against the top guys so that he's fresher for other things. That's what's made this team elite is that their best players no longer have to be the lockdown defensive players. That Ryan McDonough's you know, pairing with and Chernak is specifically pairing with McDonough and creating a great pair. Anthony Sorelli in his line with Alex Kalorn and you know whoever else you rotate in, Yanni Gord or Tyler Johnson, whoever else you wrote, Matthew Joseph, whoever you're rotating on that line, is now your shutdown line that Braden Point's freed up to do so many other things. Braden Point's not playing penalty kill anymore. He's freed up to do more offensive stuff and be you know a, a, a playmaker with Nikita Kucherov on that line. That's what's, that's what's taken this team from, and they were a great team last year. But that's what's made them elite is that they're star players now don't have to do as much defensively and can be engaged more offensively. Both from right. Victor Hedman, Braden Point, it's you know you name it. That the development of some of the younger players, Chernak and Sorelli and Joseph and and Yanni Gord and all this has, has allowed that to happen, and that's what makes this team so so deep, so dangerous, and so so powerful. Yeah, and they they just wear you down. I mean, it, it it's it, they're so explosive too, and it doesn't seem to matter. Again, down two zero, and, and I know. Uh, you know, maybe uh, you know, maybe look, Boston could have been resting some guys too, but oh, they were. Um, I mean, you know, Marshawn yeah. wasn't playing, Patrice right, Bergeron right. wasn't playing. Yeah, I mean, they played Tuka Rask, who's had, not had mm-hmm. a great year in and of himself, so he's got some issues too. Um, but you know, it, when it's winning time, they got it done, and it, it's good for them to have that that piece of history. And I think that uh, obviously it's not what they're after, but you know, this this hockey team. I it, I said this after they won. I, I don't. I don't think people will fully appreciate. We don't know how this story ends, whether it ends with them holding the cup or not. But I don't think people will appreciate what kind of magical regular season this is. They've been playing hockey a while now. You know, or is it over a hundred years? I would imagine. So, you know, for 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 the Lightning to do and, and win that many games, I don't care what era you're talking about. It's just a hell of a lot of games, and it's a hell of a lot of consistency. 
um, for this hockey team, and it's something that they 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 should be proud of. But well, Greg um, Wyshynski of ESPN wrote a great piece, and it was talking about all the records they've set from yeah. you know, Nikita Kucherov and setting the Russian point record to the number of mm-hmm. wins and the road wins they've had, and mm-hmm. uh, four seven game win streaks in the season. Only second team to do that. And, I mean, you name all, all the numbers we've gone through for months now on this podcast, right? That the magic number for the Lightning is seventy nine point five million is that they've built a team for years now that's been good, but this year is, is you know, off the charts good. And they've stayed below $79.5 million salary cap. And all these other teams they're being compared with in the regular season with never had a salary cap to play with. That's they so didn't true. have to worry about that. They didn't have to build teams and go, all right, we can't afford this person. we got to do this. They didn't have to do that. Mm. The Red Wings did and the Canadians, all these teams that they've been compared to, is that this is the first team in a salary cap era that's this dominant in hockey. Now, we'll see how, yeah. it, how it translates in the, the postseason, which is ultimately how they'll be judged. But as far as the regular season goes, it's hard to compare them to anyone because of there's a salary cap to, to, to deal with in that regard. Yeah, I mean, that, that changes everything. But they manage that. They manage to have their young core of players keep, keep enough of their stars, and uh, it's as deep a hockey team as there and did is. Did you so. see reports that there are some voters for the postseason awards that are thinking of writing yeah. Steve Eiserman in for the GM of the year? <laughs> because he's well, built this be... team. I mean, you know, Breezebois, well, you know, made some good moves this year, whatever else. But I mean, this team was built by Eisman and Breezebois has been his assistant the entire time here. But for as good as this team is, there's there's some there's some talk of writing Eiserman in for GM of the year. Well, I... when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I could see, speaking of talk, as it, there, I think I read that there's been some talk of him wanting to become or maybe a candidate to become the GM of the New York Rangers. There was a report from the Post saying that it was a possibility. Okay. It really didn't well, he, say he had interest, but it it didn't say he has said no or has been yeah. asked. I mean, the job's not open at this point, first of all. Right, 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 right. But I think it's it's probably talking to people, yeah, Steve would be interested. Well, who knows if that's true. I mean, I, I don't sure. know where they're getting their reports from, but yeah, I think it leaves in the New York Post over the weekend. I think it I mean, was clearly, more like, hey, we'd love to see Iserman as the GM. Yeah, here. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> anybody that, that is speculating they may have a GM job, he's going to be at the top of everybody's list, to say the least, with what he's done with the Lightning and the fact that uh, uh, wherever he goes next, he's going to be successful too. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But it'll be exciting. Of course, we'll be talking all week about the Lightning and their playoff series against Columbus. Uh, we'll try to get Diana Neros maybe on for a little while. What a ride she had in her first year. Yep. In covering the Tampa Bay. Well, on Lightning, that hardcover so. book too, I, I saw Amy Hollyfield from uh, the Times saying that how many yeah. tens of thousands of photos Dirk Shad has from this Lightning season uh, that they went through and, and put in that 160-page commemorative book, which if you order now at boltsbook.com, you can get for ten dollars off. Yeah, hats off to him too, and Monica Herndon. Um, of course, mm-hmm. Dirk does has, has done such a terrific job. But if you uh, if you look at at some of the pictures, even that they did of the women's final four this oh, weekend, tremendous, spectacular work uh, by both those uh, those photographers. We do have the best uh, in the business. I'm I'm biased, but I'm also accurate. Um, our our photo staff is amazing, and those two are the two of the best that I've ever worked with. So, um, congratulations to them. Um, let's talk a little bit about the women's uh, NCAA final four. I'll tell you what. You mean in the barn? In the yeah, right, the barn. Did you Who's see that? that? Did from, you see that Oregon so, story? Or some Oregonian guy said he couldn't believe that uh, that they were having it in the barn. Right? Portland needs to called? get the Final Four because you know it's a much better place in arena than Amelie Arena in this barn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the women's you Final Four is only coming back because it's so good here. Right, and we know the money that Vinick has put in, et cetera. But you know what? This is this is the oldest columnist trick in the book <laughs> unfortunately yep. or fortunately i've been in the business long enough to know this that if you want to make a name for an otherwise nameless columnist um whenever there's a a national tournament or championship and name the city 
and it could be a Super Bowl, it could be you know a World Series, it can be whatever. Uh, but all you have to do is come down here uh, or wherever the event is and rip the arena and or the people or the city. It's Skip Bayless. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's the oldest trick in the book, even before Skip started making, or Stephen A, by the way, going to make $10 million a year. How about that? I just incredible. Ridiculous. Don't try to tell me that I'm not worth He went on this rant on, on Twitter about how, you know, he's not apologizing, nor should he, but uh, $10 million a year. But even even before those guys, you know, this became a daily thing on on Fox and ESPN and everywhere else with the debate shows. Um, Tony Kornheiser, whoever it was, I remember. I think it was Tony during the World Series. It was it's or the Final Four. You know when they had it at Tropicana. Um, this this is always the thing, right? Where all you have to do, and obviously Tony had a name, but all you have to do is come down, rip the city uh, that the event is played, or rip the arena, or both. And you'll get so much, you know, pushback that everybody will know your name. And I, I'm guessing that that was, you know, the intent here. But it's just tired and played. And, yeah, I mean, that arena looked – if you've seen it, it was weird because, you know, it's most of the year, um, rightfully so, it's it's designed to reflect that it's where the lightning play. And so you have giant, you know, billboards and, and, and corners of the of the arena – plastered with lightning faces and players and colors. They completely retrofit that thing this weekend. It was all Final Four, Mm -hmm. women's Final Four, and it was gorgeous Um, from the floor that they laid out uh, to the outside of the arena and the colors that they uh, continued all the way through it. I mean, they just did a terrific job. It looked good. They had huge crowds over the weekend, both Friday – or I'm sorry, Thursday and – No, it was Friday and Sunday. Friday and Sunday. Friday and Sunday night. Um, and that was a credit not only to just the teams that were here, but I think a lot of local people supported them. I know many of my friends went um, in addition to that. And what a great what a great tournament and a great final uh, that they had with uh, uh, Baylor winning 82-81 over Notre Dame. Notre Dame was going to lose this game, and they were going to lose it handily, um, probably by about 15, uh, 10 or 15 or so. Um, but a couple things happened. Uh, not the least of which is this Chloe Jackson, who they got from LSU as a, a graduate transfer student playing one year uh, for Baylor. So nice job by Kim Mulkey to get her. Um, but she makes the, uh, the driving layup with 3.9 seconds remaining. And then, sadly, you, if you know uh, last year's national championship run by Notre Dame, Arike Agumbawale, who is the sister of Daria Agumbawale, who plays for the Bucks. And he has a chance to be their kick returner this year. He played on the practice squad a little bit last year as well. Um, she got fouled, uh, trailing by two with 1.9 seconds remaining. And she's a great shooter. Um, she hit the buzzer beaters, of course, uh, last year um, against Mississippi State. Um, and unfortunately, she misses the front end of uh, two free throws, makes a second one. But by that time, there's almost no time on the clock. And somehow Baylor escapes. And it was sad for Agumbawale simply because he's been such a terrific player. She kept him in this game um, with just a lot of, uh, of outstanding shots and playmaking. Uh, the big story, though, was that it, you know the game turned uh, because Baylor had a, a 62-50 lead, but then Lauren Cox, one of their bigs, uh, got hurt. She had her left foot stepped on, and it was uh, kind of a gruesome injury with her left leg kind of bent inward. Um, she immediately you know, fell to the to the court and she was clutching her knee and she was down there for for quite a while and they finally took her off on a wheelchair came back onto the court on crutches didn't play but made sure her voice was there in the huddle and um you know at that point uh the irish without without cox in the game went on a 13 to 5 run and that's when agumboale um helped them close the gap she had eight points during that run so you know just a fantastic finish um Kim Mulkey wins her third national championship. It's been seven years since Baylor won it previous to that. Only uh, Gino Ariema and uh, Pat Summit are the only other uh, coaches in Division I uh, women's basketball history to have uh, three or more national titles. And, and Mulkey was uh, – she was, she was in tears. I mean, she had a tough time composing herself um, simply because of what had occurred, not just with Lauren Cox, but also uh, her, whole, her own family had some – some tragedy. I think uh, her daughter and her husband had, had lost a baby. They now have a new grandchild, uh, Kim does. 
And uh, it's funny, I will, I will date myself just quite a bit here probably, but um, I remember Kim Mulkey when I, when I went to Arkansas State, um, I think it was her last year, she actually played uh, for Louisiana Tech. She was an unbelievable player. And when, when women's college basketball was just sort of getting discovered on the national level, um, before UConn or anybody, Louisiana Tech was, was the team in Ruston, Louisiana. And I can remember we had a night off because uh, we were going to play a doubleheader the next day against Louisiana Tech in baseball. And they said, well, you guys need to go see um, the Lady Texters. And I went, wait, what? Women's basketball? You know, like, nah, I don't know. And they're like, no, you need to go. They're, they're unbelievable. And I went, and that arena was sold out. And those people were crazy. And she played point guard with, with uh, pigtails and dove all over the floor and was as intense as you see her on the sidelines today with Baylor. And, of course, she coached there as well afterwards. But um, just, a, uh, just an unbelievable tournament. So well done by Rob Higgins and the whole game, of course, getting, getting these events here at Emily Arena. And, again, I knew some of my friends uh, that went to Baylor that went down there and took, took their daughters, took their son, and um, just enjoyed uh, what was just great basketball that they were able to witness. So congratulations to Baylor. Um, they deserved it, and it was uh, not a bad showing by Notre Dame. Uh, who almost defended their national title. Now, in the men's game, Steve, we got a little bit of controversy. A little. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable, man. First of all, Texas Tech, okay, they beat uh, your Michigan State, the team you had winning well, it yeah, all, I guess. Yeah, yeah. They're not I yours, all, but, yes. yeah. Um, that, talk so about they, a lockdown defensive team. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, yeah. they get after and it. Their now. star player didn't show up till a minute and a half to go in the game, Jarrett Culver. But True. yet, they're such a lockdown defensive team that, yeah, you know, I, I I'll tell you right now, I think they're going to win Monday night or tonight. Do you? Yeah, I think well. they're too good defense. And Virginia's good defensively, but I, Texas Tech is at another level defensively in college basketball. Yeah, first first time for those two teams to play uh, in a national championship, which is uh, which is interesting. I thought Virginia had with Ralph Sampson, but I guess they didn't make it that far. But yeah, so, okay, the way this game went down, I mean, it was so – I don't know if you've seen the videos on Twitter and other places of, of Auburn fan either at the university they or They rolled Tuber's corner too soon. Yeah. The one guy did, at the I arena mean, but, dumped a beer on his head. <laughs> he got arrested for it. Yeah, it was crazy. There's all these celebration, and then, and then the realization, you know, because there's so much noise that nobody realizes that a, a, a call – a foul has been called. So – you know, basically, uh, here's what happened. So uh, the Tigers uh, have a, a two-point lead, right? And um, Kyle Guy uh, launches a, a three-pointer. He's a pretty good three-point shooter with 1.9 seconds left. And all of a sudden, he misses, and he, he shoots it over Samir uh, uh, Doty's, uh, you know, right hand up in the air. Uh, it clanks off the rim, and, and the, the Auburn fans go nuts, right? But then it starts to get quiet as, as they realize that the officials are now walking towards the monitors, uh, and then Virginia began to kind of celebrate, uh, and that's, that's just, you know, where it kind of went sideways. And, and I've never heard boos like that um, during a Final Four when, you know, that call was made, and then but you know what? A couple of things here about this. First of all, credit Kyle Guy in that situation for making all three of those free throws, um, which he said later he was terrified. He was one of the honest guys. Like, would you think he'd make it? Oh, yeah, sure. No, he goes, no, I was terrified. He made all three of them, so there's that. Um, and, and, and I would say this. I think it was a foul. I struggle sometimes with, like, in this situation, a referee shouldn't make a call. You know what I mean? Like – does it if it's a foul in it's the foul, first it's quarter, foul. it's a foul. It's a foul, right? I mean, you're you're doing a disservice to the game and to the team, whichever team it is. If you don't, if you do swallow the whistle and ignore something that would normally have been called otherwise. So, I I think they did the right thing. I think he did get him, you know, with a the body. There was certainly contact there, and. You feel for Auburn, and, you know, Charles Barkley was beside himself in tears and everything else. I'm sure all the Auburn fans were. But I, I don't – I'm not emotionally involved, I suppose. Now, there, there was something else that went crazy. Apparently, Virginia had a double dribble with 1.5 seconds mm -hmm. left. 
Um, yeah, but they missed that, that call. That one they missed. They they blatantly missed that one, but it wasn't as obvious. Like I don't think mm-hmm. people in the arena were screaming. He double dribbled, no. and you know, um, he was actually they were trying to foul him, and so I can see where you know, the ball got away from him. But then uh, when you when you go back and look at it, you can definitely tell that uh, that it was a double dribble that he got away with. But again, one point five seconds left, and then they finally called a foul. I think with under a, under a second, so. It was a tremendous, tremendous uh, finish, but one that was, you know, full of all kinds of controversy. It'll be talked about for years. You feel for Auburn because they, they again, they were celebrating like they had had made it for the first uh, time, and and um, it's just unfortunate that it went down that way. You hate to make officiating, uh, you know, such a big part of determining the outcome, but it really, you know, you would have determined the outcome if you didn't make that call. And I remember. A final four, Steve, and you remember this very well too. Uh, Ramil Robinson mm-hmm. with the University of Michigan. Yep, hitting two free uh, throws to seal the, made, to win that game. They won the game, and 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 it was the final play. And I think the referee was John Cloggerty or whatever. He had he had been a referee forever. Uh, made a made a call of a, on a foul with virtually no time on the game on the clock. He made the free throws, and and they win it on those free throws. So. Um, you know, doesn't always finish that way, and, and um, you know, again, it was it was a semifinal, it wasn't a final, but um, but it's tough for Auburn, and you feel for those guys. But I think I think he did the right thing. I don't I don't quite understand. And as far as the missed double dribble goes, you know, again, not that wasn't as obvious because of the mm-hmm. situation. It looked like the ball might have gotten knocked away, but in fact, he did double dribble. So um, I don't know. But we've got a great you know a great national final. Well, great uh, national final if you like defense, because it may be the it, first team yeah. to forty to wins. Well, it could be because yeah, the one they're yeah they both play great defense. One Virginia likes to walk the ball up, um, and it's not. I don't know if it's going to play well nationally because Texas Tech and Virginia. I, eh, I don't know. Um, you're missing the Dukes, obviously, well, you're, and, and you're missing the offensive sizzle, which is what yeah you, you like. I mean, I think it's going to be a very good game. I just mm-hmm. think it's going to be one that most people are the casual fans are going to be bored with. Yeah, not the style of play necessarily that everybody loves. Um, speaking of basketball, though, how about your USF Bulls? They go up there and win their best of three series against DePaul um, and come back. If I just said, you know what, they're going to win a championship of some kind this year, how much could you have uh, made money on that one, right? I mean, it's uh, it's just been an unbelievable run, and and whether it's – the CBI or you know, the NIT or what have you, it's still tournament play. It's still a championship that they get to celebrate, mm-hmm. and they're one of going to be one of three t- what three teams in Division One that's going to you know finish their last game with a victory. Well, when you look at some of the schools that have won the CBI in recent years, and they've gone mm-hmm. on to do big things. Um, yes, you know I think VCU many years ago did Loyola Chicago. If you remember their run in the tournament, was I do. two years yeah. ago or whatever it was, maybe it was last year. Mm-hmm. We lose track of that, but they won the tournament a couple years ago. Um, right, you know, for a young team, for a, a new program, which you know Brian Gregory's just finishing his second year, a lot of young players, a lot of new players. This is tremendous, and, and we've talked about the extra practice time, the extra games, the pressure games of a tournament, winning tournament games. You know that this is only going to help the program going forward. It's going to help build the program. That and Brian Gregory's done a tremendous job in two seasons. And next year, you know, you're expecting better. I mean, next year, if they're not in, you know, the NIT and in consideration for the NCAA, it's probably, you know, I won't say a failure of a season, but disappointing based on the improvement they've made from year one to two and the amount of players they're going to have coming back and more players coming in in the system that, you know, next year they should be competing, you know, right up there for the AAC championship or, you know, one of the top teams in the league. No, you're right. I mean, Brian Gregory and those guys have to be thrilled with what they have built and how quickly they've done it and the fact that uh, the, you know, the bulk of their core will be back and um, only great things expected for them. But it's just it's just great for USF in general and their athletic program to have something like that. Uh, and there will be a banner, by the way. There will be. They will there send be. them. There should be. Absolutely. It's you only won, the second you tournament they've ever won. Tournament. It's only Absolutely. The second, they won the Sun Belt tournament in, what, 1990? Yeah. And this one. That's right. So tremendous accomplishment, and one they uh, I know that they're proud of. And, and uh, there were people uh, at USF that greeted the buses. It was it was terrific, a great scene. And those kids got to be 
um, flying high, and they're just going to carry that momentum on, I would think, into next year. Before we get out of here, a um, little bit back on baseball real quick. Did you see I, – I've I seen replays of this, but did you see the whole Chris Archer uh, brawl that happened uh, with the Pirates in this game that he pitched? Yeah, so Derek Dietrich uh, hits a, a monster home run. I mean, monster shot that I think bounced in the Allegheny River. <laughs> Probably. He hit one later in the game that went in the river on the fly. But this one, out of the park, bounces in the river. And he watches Off of it. Archer. Yeah, right. off Archer. He mm. watches it. And, oh, he did. Yeah, he, he posed. Did. Yeah, now. He it posed. was like a Barry Bonds type pose. You yeah, know? he posed. He didn't have his arms up and stuff like Bonds would do sometimes, but he posed. Right, right, right. Runs the bases. The catcher doesn't like it. Starts woofing at him as he crosses home plate. So he comes up again a couple of innings later, and Archer throws behind him. Oh boy! So the umpire comes out, warns Archer. The Reds manager David Bell comes out. He's Furious and the bench is clear. And Yasiel Puig was going to take on the whole Pirates. <laughs> he was by himself. by himself. By himself, he was trying. Yeah, he was going after anyone and everyone that had a Pirates <laughs> uniform. On. Yep. But I don't get this in baseball. And I there's the unwritten rules or whatever else. But I don't understand why why after you hit a home run there shouldn't be some celebrating. The the fans are celebrating. The bench is going nuts. Why can't you have some fun with it? Particularly if it's off a pitcher who likes to celebrate when he strikes you out. Well, and that's that's a great point that you made about Chris Archer, and and one that uh, that that dissolves you know deserves exploring because nobody uh, in recent times has jumped up around and down on the mound or run off with his his fist pumping and screaming essentially in the direction of the hitter after a strikeout or an out. Than Chris Archer and and I'm with you on the other two. I I, I don't understand. Look, the, the the job of a of a batter is to you know is to hit the ball hard someplace, produce runs, uh, what have you. And it, and it's not an easy thing to do. The greatest players in the world fail seven out of ten times. So if you're fortunate enough to blast one, and you stand there and admire it a little bit or have a bat flip, I don't have a problem with it. You know, don't don't throw a ball that can be hit 570 feet. You know. Or into the Allegheny River. I mean, that's on you to begin with. But you're right about Archer. He's made an, an entire career with his histrionics and his sort of things that he goes through out there on the mound and wearing his emotions on the sleeve. So, and I have no uh, problem does, with Chris Archer doing that. No, not at all. But you didn't. You can't then come back and be a hypocrite about it, right? If a guy that if a guy lays one out there and you know in the, in the upper deck or something. Um, you know, and and then get mad at him because he, he admired his home run a little too long. That's just you're right about that, Steve. Yeah, and like I said, Chris Archer wants to celebrate a big strikeout. He comes, you know, works the count and gets a big strikeout to end an inning that's crucial in a game. Oh, yeah. I got no problem if you get excited about it. I don't either. I like to see that out of players. I, I, I don't either. You know, the fans are excited. Why shouldn't the players be excited? They just did something great. Why not? Well, now it's, if you're going to yell at someone or. You know, you know, doing, you know, barking at the pitcher as you're going up the first baseline. That's uh, that I have a problem with. Right. You know, things like that. I mean, if if you're really trying to, you know, show them up or whatever, you know, yeah, you're trying to do that. I I have a problem with that. But if you're just going to sit there and and watch out when you crushed a home run, and I mean, he crushed it. Oh yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a no. It wasn't a you know barely over the fence shot. Nope. You know, I don't have a problem with it. And I don't have a problem with the pitcher celebrating when he does something good. But you can't you can't do one and then get mad when someone else does the other. Yeah, it looked bad. It looked bad for Archer and uh it was unnecessary certainly and and he is that guy. And and really, I mean, baseball to me, and this this came up, you know, a couple of years ago, I think, with, with uh a bat flip um that Joey you know, Batista, Joey, you're probably Joey talking. Batista did, yeah. Um but look I I think baseball in general, um, because of the slow pace of play, um, you know, generation, generationally uh, older fans are watching more than the younger fans. You know, they talk about the speed of the game, which could absolutely improve. I'm watching this game with the Rays and the Giants, and I'm trying to figure out why the National League still doesn't have a DH. It's the dumbest thing in the world. No one wants to see a pitcher stand up there and, and take strike three or, or swing as badly as they do, and yet um, you've got to take pitchers out of games, you know, and make decisions that shouldn't normally be made. And it's just, you know, 
baseball needs to upgrade its style of play. It needs National League games some, are quicker. Well, they're quicker, and, and that's one advantage, but – Nobody, and I mean nobody, pays to see it, to see the pitcher come up four times a game. It it just it, it it just shouldn't happen. You should have DH in both leagues. Um, I I just I'm sorry. It's it's not interesting, really, for anybody. I know you could say, well, what about the strategy and the shifts and you know the things that Kevin Cash pulled off, you know, in, in order to keep his pitcher in the game and moving him to first for a, for an app, a batter. All that's fine and good, but it just to me. Um, I don't want to see a pitcher hit. I think it's I think it's a waste of time, uh, and not not a good product at least for those four at bats. So that's sort of as I've always sort of said, we've talked about it before. I'd rather see just eight batters. You could do that, yeah. And let, let's let the let's let the players bat more often. Nothing wrong with that. Instead of a hey, nine, see... why, why do you have to have nine in the lineup? Don't let the right, pitcher. Right. You don't need designated hitter. Just eight players. They bat. Go back to the top of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, is anybody mad that if Mike Trout gets up a fifth time exactly. every game? Or Bryce Harper. Yeah. Or, or you Bryce name, Harper. You name yeah. the star. Right. That's an excellent idea. I haven't heard that, but that is that is actually the way to do it. You know, if you don't want to if you don't want to add an extra hitter to to either side, I mean, just, yeah, bat, bat eight guys. You at know? that point, and, your top three players in the order are guaranteed four at-bats a game. Oh, absolutely, and and very often you usually they, get they're probably, probably going to get five more often than not. They're going to get five, yeah. I was going to say, um, so that's the better hitters, more offense, score more runs. People love runs, people love action, they love home runs. So yeah, all that would would sort of would sort of fit. Uh, you wonder what Chris Archer, you wonder what Evan Longoria are thinking as they're going through these things with their ball clubs, uh, and meanwhile the Tampa Bay Rays are seven and three and leading the American League East and. Um, show no signs of slowing down they will uh have had an overnight flight of course on sunday night they're going to have an afternoon game three afternoon games as a matter of fact against the chicago white Sox uh this afternoon first pitch at 2 10 eastern time chicago It'll trying be- to keep the weather a little warmer for the games doing a lot of day games early in the season yeah which is smart i mean if you got to play up there at all and, and i guess they do so um hopefully the weather won't be too crazy but blake snell will be on the mound for the Tampa Bay Rays, of course, the national championship game is tonight. I'm going to be at one buck place on Tuesday, a chance to talk some more players, um, probably whomever the Bucks uh, select uh, for us to have available about their offseason workout program. They're still in phase one, which is just conditioning and, um, you know, some on the field work about four hours a day or so. Uh, so we'll be doing that as well. And the Lightning again hosting Columbus on Wednesday. By the way, uh, since they just wrapped up this historic season, now comes the quest for the cup. If you want to hang on to this history, uh, there's a commemorative hardcover book. It's 160 pages of, of just amazing photos and stories uh, from the Tampa Bay Times. Um, they're gonna, we're going to cover the uh, regular and postseason as well. So the story hasn't all been written just yet. But if you'd like to pre-order now, you can save $10. Just go to boltsbook.com right now and you can place your order. That's boltsbook.com. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Monday, everybody.